following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 to 36. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him, and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Uh, My name is David Day and I worship uh, in St Nick's. Uh, The subject for this evening is unanswered prayer. Now, unanswered prayer is a difficult question to talk about. And in any case, uh, talking about it is one thing, but living through those times when we cry out to God and nothing seems to happen, that is much more difficult. I've got a feeling that unanswered prayer is, is a major reason why people give up the faith. I tried it and it didn't work, they say. So this is much more than a discussion topic, and I don't really want to give the impression that it's just a matter of kicking a tricky question around for a few minutes. But I do want to say something about the subject. What lies behind the title Unanswered Prayer is, is I think, something like this. The Bible encourages us uh, to ask God to do things for us. And the problem arises when we pray sincerely and in Jesus' name, and with faith, and discover that nothing seems to happen. Or worse, what does happen is the opposite of what we were praying for. What can we say about those situations where we pray for someone to get better and they die? Did those who pray for the person lack faith? Did they not say the right words? Were they not sincere enough? Or were they too few in number? Now, even to say these things is grossly insulting to all those who have prayed at their wits end for someone that they love. Prayer is not click and collect and then find that you've forgotten the password. So where to start? Well, uh, a good place to begin might be uh, prayers which don't seem to be answered, but there's a good reason for that. And these are requests sometimes which contaminate the uh, conversation between us and God. They, they derail the prayer. Now, some people call them prayer busters. And here's half a dozen. Sometimes our prayer is just plain selfish. In Matthew 20, 20, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and asks if he will give them Uh, the top seats either side of Jesus on his throne when he comes to glory. And we're not surprised when we hear Jesus say, you don't know what you're asking. 
That's a pretty straight answer. We can understand why. Sometimes God is too loving to say yes. So this is a second. Uh, too loving to say yes? Well, I think it was Billy Graham's wife who said, if God had granted her prayers, she would have married the wrong man, not once, but several times. Three, sometimes what we are asking God to do will take time. Our prayers are versions of the famous, O oh Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. A prayer like, O oh Lord, open the eyes and soften the heart of X may take a bit longer than three days. After all, X is part of the package and God has given him or her freedom to behave as they will. Four, sometimes God is inviting us to answer our own prayer. Moses was as keen as anybody that the Israelites should get out of Egypt, uh, but he produced a long string of reasons why he shouldn't be the man to lead the Exodus. And God answers his difficulties patiently. In fact, the only time God gets cross is when Moses suggests that he's got the wrong man. Five, sometimes we pray for one thing and God gives us another. Anne's faith story that we've just heard showed that. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us that he once prayed three times fervently that God would take away the thorn in his flesh. And instead, God gave him an overwhelming experience of his grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. The old saying goes, we pray for silver. God wants to give us gold. And six, the last one. Sometimes we don't actually pray. I know this is hard to believe, but we spend time thinking about the situation, hours reading about it, hours discussing it with our friends. Then we go onto YouTube and watch experts uh, lecture on the matter. But the one thing we often don't do is spend time seeking God's face and praying. Okay, now these examples suggest that what looks like unanswered prayer may have been answered prayer, but we didn't recognise it. In fact, God does something with every prayer. There's a saying, the silence of God is not the same as the absence of God. And often it's a matter of us not quite being on the, on the same wavelength as God. We're not properly tuned in to God. And that's why we get interference and static. And that I think is why Jesus says, we ought always to keep on praying and never lose heart. Okay, but I must say, nevertheless, nevertheless, I don't want to minimise the pain and the bewilderment which prayer often brings. We pray and the heavens seem like lead. It is impossible to break through to the, the throne of grace. How can God be so uncaring? How can he be so half-hearted? He just doesn't care. And I want to mention three things which have helped me when I'm thinking about this, this question. One is our view of the universe. 
The second is our image of God's pattern of prayer. Let's start with one, our view of the universe. There is more than one way of looking at the universe. The common sense way is it is made according to strict laws, what people call the laws of nature. Fire burns, water is wet, gravity rules. And the, and the universe uh, looks like a big machine and it seems to behave like a cuckoo clock. And we understand this perspective because the world does look as if it was programmed to behave the way that it does, as if it had no choice in the matter. And the main thing that strikes us is the regularity and the predictability of the universe. It appears to work according to regular principles. And we would go mad if it didn't. The ball bounces today pretty much the same way as it bounced yesterday. And if it didn't, football would be impossible. But that is not the whole story. And the picture of science, which it depends on, belongs more to the 19th century than to what physicists actually believe today. The common sense picture of the world, in other words, is at least a hundred years out of date. And I am enormously encouraged with my friends who know about physics, since I don't know very much about physics. My friends who know about physics tell me that both quantum physics and chaos theory hint at unpredictability at the heart of every bit of creation. The universe looks like a stone statue, solid, it doesn't move. In reality, the universe is more like a waterfall turning, twisting, falling, as somebody said, performing its shape. So at the centre of every tiny bit of creation, we find freedom, flexibility and uncertainty. So God is holding the whole universe together. And at the micro level, he is also allowing it to have its own freedom. And he himself is working for good because he also has freedom. He himself is working for good within that framework. Uh, the second thing that's helped me, I think, is our image of God. There are dozens of images of God, ways of picturing him, and I'd like to share with you an image which I found very helpful. It's based on something that Bishop uh, John Taylor wrote in a book called The Christ-like God. And he says the truth about God is that he is inexhaustible. And the image that I found helpful is God as a mountain stream. Now imagine a mountain stream. Its course is always downhill and we know that it will get to the sea. At the same time, we would be very surprised if its course ran straight and unhindered. Because we know that rocks and boulders get in the way and a ridge of stone runs across along the contours, runs across the direction of flow. Small stones dam the current so that it seems to stop. But Patiently and persistently, it searches for a way round or a way through or a way over the top 
were away underneath. Nothing could be easier than to divert or dam than a mountain stream. At the same time, paradoxically, nothing is more unstoppable. Here is an image for me of the loving action of God. He is at work in every situation for good. And in the long term, yeah, probably the very long term, his love will triumph. From time to time, we recognise his work and call it healing. Most days, we recognise that he's still keeping the universe going. And occasionally, it is so unexpected that we call it miracle. And sometimes we need to say, no, it can't be done this way, not even by God. The mountain stream finds another way of getting to the sea. But he is always at work for good within every situation. Within the space that he's got for manoeuvre. And that is why it's always worth praying, because prayer is opening ourselves up to God. And God is unstoppable. Uh, the third thing I found helpful is Jesus' pattern of prayer. We heard the passage in Mark's Gospel as a reading, and I guess I guess you know it well. It's a classic example, classic example of unanswered prayer, and it has an enormous amount to teach us. If you're following the prayer course, you'll have heard Pete Gregg uh, speaking about it, and you can view this if you want to on YouTube if you just key in the prayer course, unanswered prayer. It's Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. He is in agony, so much so, in so much pain, that he sweats drops of blood. And his prayer goes like this. Father. At the beginning, Jesus recognises that he is speaking to his father. Not a tyrant who has to be shouted at, nor a machine that won't work unless you've got the right code. Definitely not a Santa Claus who will give you anything that you demand. Father, love. Secondly, you can do everything. It's a recognition that God has supreme power. He is the creator of all things and the Lord of all. Thirdly, Take this cup from me. Jesus is utterly honest and open about how he feels. He doesn't hide or pretend. He doesn't mince words. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. Take this cup away from me. This is prayer without pretending. Honesty. But the fourth aspect of this prayer is about the will of God. Nevertheless, despite what I feel, not my will, but yours be done. Love, power, honesty, and the will of God. There's a famous line of Dante which echoes this. In his will is our peace. But I end with a verse from Habakkuk. 
Habakkuk 3.17. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived at the end of the 6th century. And in his time, men of violence were triumphant and God's people were always being threatened by foreign invaders. And Habakkuk holds on to his belief that God is at work on the stage of history, but he also knows doubt and grief when he prays. His whole world is threatening to collapse about him. And yet he never gives up on his belief that the way to live is by being faithful. And his final words are tremendously moving and I find them a great help. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, nor cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in God. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.